It wasn't Barbados, it was Belize. But <laughs> it starts with a B, though. That's right. Absolutely. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to be back with you all, as uh, was alluded to. Uh, Nadine and I were away for the past two Sundays as we had the opportunity to go on a bit of a vacation with two of our three children as we, for the very first time, went on a cruise down into the Caribbean. We, uh, we know there's some avid cruisers in the congregation who were hoping we would enjoy it, and absolutely we did. <laughs> it was wonderful. And uh, we will definitely be doing that again in the days ahead. So thank you for the opportunity to, to be away for a little bit of a time of rest, time to spend with, uh, with family, to reconnect with them as well. We'll be doing that again, but not for a while, because we know that there is much to be done around here in 2017. And we came back last, uh, last Sunday evening, we were in here to help out with Alpha a little bit, and, and right from that point, people started asking us the obvious question, how was your vacation? Uh, which was very nice, but it was, it was interesting to me that immediately after they asked that question, they were really excited to tell me about the wonderful services that you folks had while we were away. And and that was great. <laughs> and I just want to say a special thank you to, to Pastor Tony and to Pastor Luke and all the staff and volunteers helped to, to, uh, to make that happen each week. It's a real testimony to their faithfulness and their diligence to, to serve week after week. And and also a real testimony to the wonderful people that we have here at West Meadows that um, can leave us feeling very, very blessed. So I'm glad that we have uh, a wonderful church family with us. Today we're going to begin a new series, a new series on the topic of stewardship. And we're calling this With Open Hands. Now stewardship, which is that's spelt with a D, not with a T, Stuart is the name of a person. And if you, I guess if you wanted to go find a person named Stuart and decided to give your life to serving them, that would be stewardship. Um, but I can't help you with that. We're going to spend time here instead talking about stewardship with, with the letter D in the spelling. That's a mistake I used to make all through uh, seminary when I would spell it. I would spell it Stuart instead of steward. Now, this is a word that we find in Christian circles. And uh, even if you've been around the church, even just for a little while, you may have run into this word, and our minds very quickly attribute the word stewardship with money. That's where our minds very, very quickly go. And yes, money and finances fit under the umbrella of stewardship, but stewardship is so much more than that, as we're going to see over the next few weeks here. You see, stewardship, in generally speaking, is the job of supervising or taking care of something like an organization or property. Now, it's not a word that we use commonly in our culture today. We use synonyms for this word instead. Quite, quite often words that are synonymous like manager or coordinator or, or director of things and activities and events. And at the most basic level, this draws us to the question that surrounds stewardship, a question where we ask ourselves, how do we manage what we have? And as we look around, we can see that God has granted us many, many things. We can look at the world around us and see that he has granted us a creation, special abilities. He's given us good relationships and community. He has given us resources. And when we look around at all of us, especially when we live in Canada, we can really feel like blessed people for all that he has given to us. And indeed, we are blessed people. But perhaps not for the reason that culture suggests that we are to be considered blessed. You see, often the world that we live in 
people outside the church, but also people in the church as well, see the accumulation of these things. They see the accumulation of possessions and influence and talents as a personal reward or as as a privilege that they've been granted as though God is rewarding the individual through those things. And when that happens, and that's the view that we adopt, we have this tendency to, to tightly grasp after those things. Because we want to protect them. We want to retain them and control them. We quite often will also want to consume them for personal advancement, personal gain. Now, I'm not suggesting that having these things is sinful by any means. You will not hear me say that once throughout this whole series. Because it's not wrong and it's not ungodly to have things given to us by God. Not at all. But there is an inherent danger. The inherent danger in things like this, there's an inherent danger in seeing money, status, power, influence, if those become the measurements of God's favor, and if those become the measurements of our personal contentment. There's an inherent danger if it takes that role in our lives. But let me ask you a question. What if God has placed all of these things into our hands? All of these possessions, these these abilities, these influences, even the gospel even the very gospel itself, what if he has placed all of these things into our hands, not as a privilege, not as a reward, but as a responsibility, and perhaps even as a test? Because you see, we truly are a blessed people. And I don't want anyone to feel guilty for who they are or what they have throughout this series. But our happiness and our contentment needs to be found in the Lord alone, not in what the Lord has placed into our hands. Pastor Luke spoke on this a little bit last week when he referenced Paul who says, I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty, and I know what it is to be in want. But the secret of contentment in every situation is found in the Lord. So as we begin this series on stewardship, I invite you to consider the question, what would happen if we held everything with open hands, seeking to honor God with all that he has entrusted to us? could happen? What could happen if we held everything with open hands, seeking to honor God with all that he has placed into our hands? What would happen in your life? Maybe in your business, in your family. What could happen in this church? What would happen if we held all these things with open hands, seeking to honor God with them? So this week and next week, we're going to take some time to define stewardship and also to examine our approach towards it. But then we're going to take that a step further. And in the final few weeks of this series, we're going to look at some specific topics to which we can apply this question individually. We'll look at topics, the ways that we can be good stewards of things like the talents and the skills that God has placed in our hands. At how God has placed the gospel into our hands. How he's placed resources into our hands. And one that I'm really looking forward to, how we can be good stewards of the creation that he has entrusted to us as well. So, since we're going to be talking about stewardship for the next few weeks, let's a little further define what exactly we're talking about when we say stewardship. As I mentioned already, which is a fairly basic description, somewhat a secular view of stewardship, it's the idea of one who holds a position of responsibility to take care of property, events, resources, things of that nature. That's what we're referring to when we talk about the word stewardship. And from a biblical perspective, all of this is true. That definition holds true from a biblical perspective, but takes it a step further, actually, 
in Scripture in a couple of very important ways. You see, because from the very earliest pages of the Bible, we see that God has appointed humanity to be his stewards. Because we have a very unique position among all creation. We have the nature of the created realm within us, but also we transcend the created realm. We transcend nature because all of us are created in the image of God. And that is the uniqueness that we bear above and beyond all the rest of creation. And then we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God establishes, God gives us the responsibility of being stewards, of being managers and overseers, which is first applied to creation in that account. But if we keep reading through Scripture, that's just Genesis 1. If we keep reading through Scripture, especially up into the New Testament, we start to see that this idea of stewardship, of being good managers, extends from creation to also include things like our abilities and our wealth our spiritual gifts, and the gospel as well. And in all of these cases, regardless of which one of these things we're speaking of that God has placed into our hands, in all of these cases, the overarching perspective, the enduring view is that God owns it all. It's all God's. And that he has entrusted it to us as managers. In the passage we read earlier today in our service, we see the words of King David who expressed this so very clearly when he offered this prayer in 1 Chronicles 29. He said, Lord, everything in heaven, everything on earth, it's yours. You are exalted as head over all. Whether we're talking about wealth or honor, it comes from you because you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength. Who am I and who are my people that we should give as generously as we're able to do? Because everything that we give to you, Lord, everything we possibly have to offer, everything we are, everything we have, everything we can possibly give, only comes from what you've placed into our hands. Is a prayer that David prays. And this is the critical first step to understanding biblical stewardship, is that it all belongs to God and that we are the managers. Everything you have, everything you are, everything you have or you ever will accomplish, all of our successes and our abilities, glory and honor goes to God through all of those things. We're going to see a little taste of that today. If any of you watch the Super Bowl, there will be somebody who scores a touchdown and points their finger towards the sky. Some of those guys are pointing to the jumbotron because they want you to see their replay again. But other guys, in a small way, in a small example, in their particular talent, are saying, don't plod for me. I am a steward of the gift of the ability that the guy above has given me. You'll see that on your TVs this afternoon for sure. Most of us don't have that kind of talent or that kind of opportunity. But that does not mean God hasn't placed things in our hands. And so let's not sell ourselves short just because we're not on TV because there is so much that he's given to us. But remember, if God is the owner and we are the managers of what he's placed in our hands, it is all for his purposes and for his glory. As Paul tells us in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, whatever you do, whether you are eating or drinking, whatever you do, do it for whose glory? Do it for the glory of God, is what he says in that simple summary sentence. So if you have a talent And so many people in this church have talents. The people who are on the stage prior to me coming up here have incredible talents in the way of music. 
And I never cease to be amazed at, at, at musicians, in particular pianists. Have you ever seen a sheet of piano music with all the notes that are on there? And then they sit down with all of these ivory keys and, and, and they become one with that instrument and they just create beautiful music from it. I never get cease to amaze at how people have those talents. But it begs the question, how can it be used for the glory of God? What about wealth and prosperity? You know, on a global basis, every single person in this room is in the top percentile of being wealthy in this world. Some of us more exceedingly so than others, but all of us are in the top percentile on a global basis. And having money is not a sin. Having things is not wrong. But it does beg the question, how can we use that? How can we use that for God's purposes? What about intellect? There are some people who have incre- been incredibly gifted with, with intelligence, and they enter into professions and fields that, that require that level of intelligence, such as our, our doctors, for example, that we desperately need within our society. I came across people who were just mind-bogglingly smart in seminary, and some of these guys, they would study languages. Now, I, I studied Greek and Hebrew and, and did okay, but I really had to work hard at it. And now there are some of these other guys who want to study things like Sanskrit and, and Aramaic, and they want to master these things. And I, I was glad to have those guys because I said, you know what, guys? You guys go study. You guys go master that. You guys go write a book, and then I'll just read your book, right? <laughs> Save me the hassle of trying to learn all that. But we need people with that incredible intelligence. But then also within our families and the communities we've been placed into, those things are placed in our hands as well. And none of these communities, none of these people are perfect, but I have found that most of them are genuinely seeking to be caring and, and welcoming and desire the best for one another. And so as we come together in our homes or in our church or in our neighborhoods, it begs the question, if that has been placed into our hands, how can we be the hands and feet of Christ? How can we honor God with that to reveal his love and his purposes to all people? See, this is just a small sampling of the things that have been placed into our hands. But we need to acknowledge that it all comes from God, that he is the owner, and we are the directors. We are the stewards of all those things. We've been given the responsibility to manage them according to the owner's will and the owner's purposes. And so these two principles that we see, these two principles is where the biblical understanding of stewardship differentiates from any synonyms or any ideas that you would find in the world. Because it's not just a matter of how do you manage what you have. It also is a matter of do you understand the critical principles that it's all his and it's all for his glory as well. Apart from these, we will come to see the things that we have and the things that we are for personal gain. And we'll seek to advance ourselves through them. That's the inherent danger of not having a biblical view of stewardship. And when that happens, we are close to closing our hands around what's been placed in them. We start to grasp as opposed to holding with open hands. And when we do so, we limit ourselves. We limit ourselves because we limit our experiences with God. And we limit what is possible with the things that we've been gifted and the things that God wants to do in us and through us. Because when things are placed into our hands, if we grasp them and seek to control them ourselves in our humanness, we can merely achieve the ordinary. But when we open our hands and place them into God's power, he can accomplish the extraordinary. 
Because the reality is this. We on our own and our accomplishments really aren't that impressive by heavenly standards. What we can accomplish on our own is not impressive by heavenly standards. But we do serve an awfully impressive God. Now, it might be hard for some of us to accept. It might even be a bit of a shot to the ego for some people here. But remember what the prophet Isaiah said when he reminded us. He said, he said the Lord declares, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We can have ordinary thoughts. God has extraordinary ordinary thoughts. We have ordinary ways. God has extraordinary ways. And to illustrate this, there's one character in the Bible I want to talk about for a moment where I think it so beautifully portrays the, the difference between these two things. As we look at one particular season in the life of Moses, a well-known Old Testament figure who we first find in the opening book, opening chapters of the book of Exodus. And as we look at Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses tending a flock in the middle of the desert. And perhaps as he's out by himself tending this flock, he's replaying the events of his life that have brought him to this moment. How at one point he was in a plush, powerful courts of Pharaoh. A powerful man in the, in, in the land. And now he finds himself in a barren desert. And as he contemplates all the things that happened that led to this, he notices something. Off in the distance a little bit, there are flames of fire coming up from a bush. Now, this wasn't uncommon. In, in the hot, dry, arid desert, when it got really hot, sometimes bushes would, would self-combust. But, but this one was different because when they did that, they would, they'd be gone in a flash. But, but this one continued to burn. And so it, it piqued his interest. And he decides to go over and investigate And as he goes over to investigate, God calls to him from within that bush. And God says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard them cry out for deliverance. And my concern has continued to grow over their suffering. So Moses, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to bring my people out of Egypt and to bring them into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. You see, all of the all of Moses' privilege, all of his training, all of the access he had in the first season of life growing up in the courts of Pharaoh, all of those things placed in his own hands had left him as a wanted murderer in the desert. But God was about to take those things. He was about to take those experiences and abilities, and he was about to put them to use for God's plan and for God's purposes. But Moses is resistant. He goes, who am I to do such a thing as that? And, and come on, God, they're not going to believe me when I show up and say, God, talk to me from a bush. But God reassures him. He says, Moses, I will be with you. Go, gather the elders and tell them. I'm telling you, they will believe me. And when you head out of Egypt, when that day comes, when you head out of Egypt, you will not leave empty-handed. But Moses continues in his reluctance. He continues to say, God, no. There must be somebody else. And so God asks him this question. He says, Moses, what is in your hand? Moses looks at his hand. A staff. I have a staff in my hand. And God says, throw that staff on the ground. And as Moses throws the staff on the ground, it becomes a snake. And Moses runs away from it, fearful of the snake that appeared. But God says, take it. 
by the tail, and when he picked it up, it turned back into a staff again. Imagine the amazement of Moses when that happened. As he looks at this staff and he goes, I've had this staff for three and a half years. It has never done anything like that before. Well, of course not. Because in the hand of Moses, it's an ordinary staff. At best, it was used to defend off predators, to herd sheep. At best, it was something to lean on when you're tired. But when that staff is placed in the hands of God, it becomes a sign of power and authority. The ordinary became the extraordinary. And at the end of the conversation that Moses has with God, God says to him, remember Moses, take the staff in your hand so you can perform those miracles, those signs with it. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, it says, and Moses took with him the staff of God, they called it. It ceased to be a shepherd's staff. And in verse 20 of chapter 4, it becomes the staff of God. Over the course of years, as we keep reading Moses' story, this ordinary staff that has now been placed in the hands of God, it becomes a snake in Pharaoh's courts. It's used to summon the plagues of Egypt as it's dipped into the Nile and the Nile turns to blood. With it raised high, it summons an army of frogs and a cloud of gnats and locusts. With the staff in hand, Moses is able to bring forth hail and lightning. With that staff raised, as God commanded, the sea divided and the nation walked across on dry land. Again, the Bible tells us with staff in hand, when Moses struck the rock, water flowed out in the desert. And when Moses had that staff in hand and the hand was raised, they battled the Amalekites. They were victorious. When it started to drop, they started to lose. But they raised those hands and they were victorious. Ordinary piece of wood, walking stick of a shepherd, or staff of God. It depends who's holding it. That makes the difference. You see, this staff is a metaphor for any number of things in our lives that can be ordinary or can be extraordinary. What about your career? Is it a metaphor for finances? Is it a metaphor for our families and our kids? Is it a metaphor for retirement or for the talents and abilities we've been given? What about opportunities that come before you? Is it a metaphor for our church? For what could happen within this place? But therein lies the challenge. Because if you're anything like me, when I find something placed into my hands, I have a tendency to close them. I have a tendency that I want to hang on to them because I believe I can handle it. I believe that I know what's best. I, I, I believe that if I open them, I might lose what's been given to me. And in essence, what I'm saying is, thanks, God. But I'll take it from here. If I need anything, I'll let you know. You see, it is possible to believe that everything comes from God, but then also to mistakenly believe that he has relinquished ownership of it. And if that was the case, we would not be considered stewards. We would become owners. That's not the call we've been given. We find a bit of a reference to this as well in Jesus' words recorded in Mark chapter 8. When Jesus said, Whoever wants to lose their life, whoever wants to save their life, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. If we are to faithfully follow Jesus, and if we are to honor him with all that he has placed into our hands, 
then our hands must remain open. We must allow him to place, to use, and even possibly to remove things from our hands. And that's hard. That is hard to do because we like to be in control. It's one of those default factory settings that we have as humans. We like to be in control. We like to have it our way. We're not really big fans of compromise. I I know we can put on a strong face and we're good at it at times, but deep down, a lot of us struggle with compromise. But in our hands, it's just an ordinary stick. It's an old piece of wood, an ordinary staff. However, we can find incredible joy, and I hope you can find amazing anticipation of what that ordinary thing can become placed into the hands of God. And if we will choose to adopt this view and to live in this manner, to to live as good stewards in this manner, it will take faith. It will cost us something. It, it, It truly will. But if you think about it, we don't really have much to offer Jesus. What do we have to offer him that isn't already his? And so what if we took what was already his, but placed in our hands? What if we took that with open hands and seek to honor God with all that he's entrusted to us? We'll never know what's possible until we do. But I do know this. I know that he can accomplish more than I or you or we together ever could. And I am excited for the days ahead as we together can walk forward as a body of Christ here at West Meadows to see what he can and will do if we will seek to honor him and seek to serve him with all that he's placed into our hands. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are truly a blessed people. And God, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us this responsibility. Lord, I pray that it would be a responsibility that at times overwhelms. Because if it overwhelms, we see the significance and the seriousness of it. Help us to understand our role within all of this, Lord. That it is all yours. And that we need to carefully and prayerfully discern your purposes and your will for all that you've blessed us with. That you may be glorified. That through our families, through our careers, through our talents, through, through everything you've placed in our hands, that you may be glorified. And Lord, we know that as the good Father, as we faithfully follow you and glorify you through all those things, that that you are pleased and are pleased to, to bless us and encourage us and spur us on to more and more great deeds, Lord. Because if we've been faithful with the little, we know that you will give us much. So Father, we don't do it in anticipation of the much. We do it for your glory. Help us to have a vision for this in our own hearts in our homes, but here is a church as well, Lord. Help us to have a vision to see what you have placed in our hands, how you have blessed us and gifted us, how you have called us together in such unique ways, that through that uniqueness that you have caused to happen in this place, we will be able to discern your will and your purposes for our vision and ministry in the year ahead. God, that is a challenging thing. It will call for for changes. It will call for some difficult moments. But God, if it is truly from you and for you and for your glory and discerned by your people in your name, Lord, we know that we will have the strength and the ability to do it. I pray this in Jesus' name.